with me to 2 Peter, almost at the very end of the Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be reading through uh, beginning in verse 3 and reading until verse 11. Peter, writing to a group of Christians who were facing persecution on a daily basis, uh, who were also facing false teachers. These are the words that he writes. His divine power, speaking of Christ, Christ's divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for our wonderful and merciful Savior. Lord, we don't deserve anything you've done for us. But Father, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sins that we might be born again, that we might have, Lord, eternal life. Father, forgive us when we forget about all that you've done for us. Lord, forgive our sins when we don't live like we ought to. Father, I pray that you would give us great boldness and great courage to live in a way that is pleasing unto you. Lord, so that you might be glorified, so that your church might be edified, and so that lost people can come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, would you speak to us through your word today? Make it clear. Tell us, Lord, exactly what you want us to do. And then, God, give us the courage and boldness and commitment to do what is necessary. Father, I pray that and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Leroy Imes, in his book, The Lost Art of Disciple Making, shared a story that happened to him and his family. It was in the spring of the year and they were driving from Fort Lauderdale down to Tampa, Florida. 
And on either side of the interstate where they were driving, all they saw were just orange trees that were absolutely full of oranges. Of course, by the time they stopped for breakfast, Leroy Imes decided he needed a glass of orange juice. And so he requested from the waitress who was waiting on him to get a glass of orange juice. And this is the way the waitress responded. She said, I'm sorry, I cannot bring you orange juice. Our machine is broken. Imes was dumbfounded. He wrote, we were surrounded by millions of orange trees and millions of oranges. And I knew they had oranges in the kitchen because orange slices garnished our plates. What was the problem? No juice? No, they were surrounded by oranges that had all kinds of juice in them. The problem was they had become dependent on a machine to get the juice. And when the machine was broken, they couldn't figure out how to make orange juice. Some Christians are just like this. They are surrounded with Bibles in their home. In fact, a lot of times you go to people's homes and there's a Bible in every room and a Bible on every table. But they don't know how to find that nourishment for themselves. In fact, if it was prohibited for us to have Sunday worship services, they would literally starve to death, spiritually speaking, because they don't know how to get what's necessary out of God's Word. Peter wrote these words addressing again some Christians who were facing persecution, that were facing false teachers. And he told them in this particular passage of Scripture how they could escape from the corruption that is in the world. If you look back at verse 4, you'll see that. In order to stand strong in our day and time, we too face persecution, don't we? It's a different kind. It's not as extensive as what these people were facing. It's not as extensive as some of the people in Africa are facing. Uh, just this uh, past week or two, there's been Christians literally slaughtered because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are churches in China that are having to meet in secret because if they're discovered, they'll get thrown into prison. Now, you and I don't face that kind of persecution, but we face ridicule. We face people who say, I don't want to hear about that. You start talking to somebody about Jesus nowadays, I don't talk about that. I don't hear about it. And so there are times that you and I face persecution, but we might mostly face false teachers and false teaching. How are you and I going to stand strong? How are we going to escape from the corruption that is in the world? Well, we must have a commitment to the truth and a commitment to growing as God commands over in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what must we do? What must you do to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, you must have a proper understanding. You must have a proper understanding. Do you see what Peter says here in, in verses 3 and 4? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Guys, if you're going to grow, 
If we are going to grow as Christians, if we're going to grow in the, the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we've got to have a proper understanding. We need to understand that Christ's divine power. Now, which is, which, where did Christ get that divine power? From His resurrection from the dead. You remember Romans 1-4 tells us that He has been given all power. And, and, and Matthew chapter 28 tells us that Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This divine power, this all power, all sufficient power, is giving us everything we need to live a godly life. Christ alone is the source of our spiritual power and our spiritual growth. You will never grow as a Christian until you understand this truth. You will never grow as a Christian until you understand it is Christ's divine power that helps you to live a godly life. Uh, some of you might be able to relate to me. There have been times in my own Christian walk when I've tried really hard to live a godly life. You know what happens? I fall flat on my face because I'm a sinner by nature and by choice. And sometimes I don't choose to do the right thing. Can I get a testimony? Can I get a witness? Anybody else there with me? And sometimes, right, sometimes you and I fail miserably because we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, in our own power. We don't have to do that. God's divine power, Christ's divine power has made it possible for us to live a life that is pleasing unto God. Living a godly life comes through our knowledge of Him who has called us. That's what Peter tells us in this verse. Now he's not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's talking about experiential knowledge. Remember what Jesus' definition of eternal life is? When you think of eternal life, what do you think about? Do you think about life that goes on and on and on and on and on? That's what most people think about eternal life. Jesus said this, Eternal life is that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is a person, it's not a thing. And so you and I, we need to have this knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it's knowledge of Him, not about Him. Knowledge about Him would be intellectual knowledge. Knowledge of Him comes from an experience of walking with Jesus on a daily basis. It's when you get up in the morning and you say, Good morning, Lord. It's been, it's, thank you for watching over me last night. Today I want to live in Your presence. I want to walk with You. God, help me. Give me the strength that I need. It's not intellectual knowledge. The false teachers of that day and time, we've talked about this as we were going through 1 John. The false teachers of that day and time, we're teaching people that in order to be right with God, you needed some higher intellectual knowledge, some mysterious knowledge that only certain people had, not everybody had. That's not the kind of knowledge that Peter's talking about here. Peter is saying the knowledge that we're going to have of the Lord is the time that we spend with Him. It's experiential knowledge. The Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, has revealed Himself primarily in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we supposed to live? How many of you as Christians and how many of us as Christians compare ourselves to other people and say, well, you know, I must not be doing too bad. I'm better than oh so-and-so over here that, that's a Christian that belongs to our church. You know, I'm better than my spouse 
At least I pray. You see what we do? We compare ourselves to other people. You know what? You can always find somebody to compare yourself to that's worse off than you are or that is not as far along in their walk with Christ as you are. But who should you compare yourself to? Christ, exactly, Pat. Christ is our example. He showed us when He came to this earth, He showed us how to live. How did He live? He lived dependent on His heavenly Father. And you and I need to learn to depend on God. God has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ and also through His Word. In one city in Utah, a hummingbird was seen trying to get water out of the biggest red flower in town. And people began to wonder how long it took him to figure out that you can't get water out of a traffic light. How many of us do the same thing? How, how many of us uh, expend our energy for food that doesn't satisfy or try to get food in, a, in the wrong place instead of getting it from God's Word? God, speaking to His people in the book of Isaiah, says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your wages for that which does not satisfy? In Psalm chapter 81, God says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. He goes on and says in that same uh, chapter that he would have fed them with the finest of wheat and from honey from the rock. Now, who's the rock? Rock is Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. God would have fed them truth. God would have fed their souls. Guys, we look too often to too many different things to fill up the emptiness that's in our life. We try going to sporting events. We try watching stuff on television. We try buying new things, thinking that it's going to fill up the emptiness that's in our life. God, the, guys, the only thing that will fill up the emptiness in our life, the only thing that will help us to grow to be more like Jesus Christ, is when you and I feast on the Word of God on a daily basis. God's Word is all-sufficient to meet every need that we have. His Word is all-sufficient to help us grow in godliness to come to know what God has done for us and how we're supposed to live. So we must have a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is and of God's Word, but we also need to have a proper understanding of God's precious promises. Notice he says here, He has granted to us precious and very great promises. The word precious, Peter's already used that word to describe uh, the Christian's faith in 1 Peter chapter 2, 7 to, to describe the blood of Christ that it's precious in 1 Peter 1, 19. And here he uses it to describe the precious promises of God. Guys, the promises of God are part of our eternal inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is giving us exceedingly precious promises. Go through God's Word. I, I just dare you. I dare you to take your Bible every day and every time you read Scripture, write down, is there a promise for me to follow in this passage of Scripture? Is God making me a promise here? You'd be surprised at how many promises that you find in the Word of God. 
through Christ's power and His promises, the Bible says here that we participate in the divine nature. Did you hear that? We participate in the divine nature through God's word, through His promises. We can have victory over sin, and we literally can have victory over death because of what God has done for us in and through Christ Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sins that you and I might be made right with God. And as we have a proper understanding, we know what it takes to be more like Jesus. How many sermons have you heard and how many times have you read in God's Word about what you need to do to be more like Christ? The question becomes is, are you more like Christ? So that's the first thing. If you and I are going to live a godly life in an ungodly world, we need to have a proper understanding. But also the second thing that we must do is we must take proper action. Guys, we must build our lives on the Word of God, not on what the television tells us, not on what our government tells us, not on what our, our, our family tells us. We must build our lives on the Word, uh, the all-sufficient Word of God. In fact, Peter says here, look what he says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then he goes through that whole list of stuff. Make every effort. Somebody has translated that. Literally bend every energy. Put everything you have into becoming more like Jesus. What if you put as much energy into becoming more like Jesus as you did in your sports or in the news or in the government? Just fill in the blank of whatever is most important to your life. Think about if you spent as much time focused on God's Word and letting God's Word get into your life, what a difference it would make in you. We ought to bend every energy to add to our faith. It takes every bit of diligence and effort that a Christian can muster, along with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You must work hard. The word supplement, or I think the King James Version says add, add to your faith. That word's an imperative. How many of y'all know what an imperative verb is? Nobody? Nobody knows what an imperative verb is? An imperative verb means it's something you've got to do, not something that you get to do. An imperative means you've got to do it. It's imperative that you do these things. So it's imperative. If you and I are going to be more like Jesus, it's imperative. And I'm going to run through this list quickly. So if you listen quick, I'll talk quick. First of all, we have faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Paul says, uh, For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved through faith. A trust in God. You and I need to add to that faith, which is complete reliance upon God. We need to add to that faith virtue. Virtue refers to moral excellence. It refers to things like modesty which this society doesn't know anything about. It, it refers to things like being kind to one another. It, it refers to being respectful of one another. Has anybody noticed how disrespectful people in this world are towards other people? 
Guys, to faith, we're supposed to add virtue, moral action, moral rightness. We're supposed to add that to our faith. Too many Christians in this world today care nothing about living a moral life. It is so amazing to me how many Christians ignore God's Word and do exactly the opposite of what God's Word says. And they use as the excuse, well, God wants me to be happy. Have you all heard that? I've had people say that to me. Guys, God does not want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Because He knows that holiness leads to that deep abiding sense of peace and the deep joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of y'all would rather have happiness than joy? You see, joy doesn't depend on your circumstances. Joy comes from the Spirit of the living God that's planted deep within us. So, on top of our faith, we need to have virtue. So let me ask you a question. Do you live a life that brings honor and glory to Christ? Or do you you live a life that brings you great pleasure, no matter what God's Word says? That's a question that each of us need to ask. To virtue, we need to add knowledge. And again, this is not talking about intellectual knowledge. It's talking about experiential knowledge. It's the knowledge that comes as you and I get to know more about God. How do we get to know more about God? By feasting on the Word of God. That's how we get to know God better. By spending time in prayer. By spending time in Bible study. By spending time with God's people. Feeding off of one another. I don't know how you guys are, but, but I learn a lot more when I'm in a group of people than I would do when I'm just sitting on my own. Because people ask questions and people say things and that triggers other thought processes in me. That's why God is, intends for you to live the Christian life within the body of Christ. That's why it's so important. So knowledge from the, that comes as we spend more time with Christ and remain focused on Him in our Bible. To knowledge, we need to ask self-control or temperance, I think is what the King James Version says. Exercise complete control over your desires and action. Would you agree with me that the people in this world, for the, by and large, for the most part, have no sense of self-control? And are not in control of their self at all. They do whatever their hearts desire to do and they don't try to control anything. Y'all agree with me that that's true? This means yes and this means no. Okay. I'm just looking. I'm afraid some of y'all going to sleep on me. Check back in, okay? Check back in. For first century Christians, that was an absolutely foreign concept in their culture. You're talking about ungodly lifestyles. They had ungodly lifestyles back then that would match some of the stuff that goes on in some places here today. And then on top of that, the false teachers were telling them, and y'all remember this from our study on John, the false teachers were telling them that what you do in the body really doesn't matter. It's only your spirit that's going to make it out of this world. What does the Bible say? That there's going to be a bodily resurrection. Isn't that good news? There's going to be a bodily resurrection. Not just spiritual resurrection. There's going to be a bodily resurrection. We need to have control over our desires in action. Here's what God says. You know what God says about that? About living a moral lifestyle? You know what He says? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Think about that. 
Think about that when you live an ungodly lifestyle, when you choose ungodly actions rather than choosing to please Christ. I could use a bunch of examples, but I'll just move on to the next one. The next one is steadfastness or patience or faithfulness or perseverance. It's the power to remain faithful in spite of everything that happens to us and everything that happens around us. Guys, it just breaks my heart. I can take you and introduce you to people that were on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, that were winning people to Jesus, that, that were bringing people to church, that were taking their children and their families to church, and something happened and they got angry at God and they just absolutely quit. They gave up on God. Guys, God's called us to persevere. How do you do that? I'm not going to tell you it's easy because there's some bad things that happen in this world. Do you agree with that? There's some bad things that happen to us in this world. And sometimes it's really hard for us to understand it. And it's really hard for us to accept it. If you were in Sunday school class this morning, you know the answer to this question. If you were listening. Because we talked about Job and how the sovereignty of God and God's plans and God's purposes and God's ways, we don't always understand it. God has a bigger purpose and plan for our lives than you and I can even imagine. He's got a bigger plan and purpose for our children's lives than we can even begin to think or imagine. And we don't know why God does what He does, and God doesn't have to explain Himself. That's the whole point. Go read the last four or five chapters of Job. That's the whole point of that. God never did explain to Job why He had to go through suffer persecution and lose all of His family, lose all of His kids in death, lose all of his animals, lose all of his wealth. He lost everything, even including his health. And God never tells him why. But God talks to him about, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when, when I put, hung the stars in space? And Job learned to trust God even in circumstances that he didn't understand. Guys, we need to remain steadfast in our service and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. To that steadfastness, we're to add godliness. Godliness literally means a life that looks like God. Now, how do we know what a life that looks like God, how do we know where to find that? It's found in Jesus, isn't it? Didn't Jesus model for us what a godly life ought to look like? You want to know how to live a godly life? Go read the Gospels and see how Jesus lived his life. That will help you know how you're supposed to live. I'll just move on. You know, the first five of those that he talks about focused on the inner life and the personal relationship with God. The last two focus on the things outside of us and how to relate to others. Notice, to godliness, we're to add brotherly affection or brotherly kindness. That means to love and care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I have seen Christians who have treated their brothers and sisters in Christ worse than they would treat their own pet at home, their own dog or their own cat. I have seen Christians say stuff that is unkind and untrue to run down a brother or sister in Christ that's caused great damage. That's why a lot of those people that I was talking about before that have not persevered in the faith, some of those people left because their brothers and sisters in Christ hurt them so deeply. Guys, to all these other things, we need to add brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is more than just words. It also includes actions. We have a group of ladies here, led by Miss Carolyn, that when people are suffering and hurting, they take food to them. That's showing brotherly kindness. 
That's not just talking about it. That's doing something about it. We've got other people in this church that you'll never know anything about. I know some of them. I don't know even all of them because some of them don't even tell me. But there are people in this church when somebody's hurting and when they're down and out, they simply just take money out of their own pocket and hand it to them. Or they go buy a, good of grocery, a bill of groceries and take it to somebody's house because they're suffering and they need it. That's between them and the Lord. Guys, that's showing brotherly kindness. We ought to be doing that to each other all the time. And then the last one he mentions here is charity. That's uh, or love, which comes from the word agape, which is the same kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ had for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's sacrificial love that God wants us to show for one another. That means we put other people in front of ourselves. Is that hard for you to do? It's hard for all of us, isn't it, to put other people in front of ourselves? Because we're selfish people sometimes, and we want what we want, and we want to be the center of attention. But guys, we're supposed to put other people in front of ourselves. We're supposed to love them sacrificially. Even when they hurt us, we're still supposed to love them. Even when they do us wrong, we're supposed to love them. No matter what happens, we are to love like Christ has loved us. Guys, if we're going to get out of this world, if we're going to be productive, if we're going to be the kind of people if we're going to be mature Christians, if we're going to be mature disciples, we need to take proper action. A disciple means a learner. Uh, as Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. I was talking to a good friend of mine one time, and he lived in a part of the country where there was a lot of uh, false religions. And those false religions were always running down Baptists. And so I asked him, I said, well, how did you help your people deal with that? This is what he said. He said, I taught a class in Baptist doctrine that lasted 26 weeks. And some of the people in my church had been to, have been to that study three, two to three times. Because they wanted so much to know what they believed and how to answer those who were speaking ill of them. Would we be that committed? Would we be that committed that we would give up a whole year? Because 26 weeks is a half a year, so if you do it twice, it's a whole year. If you do it three times, it's a year and a half. That's a lot of time, isn't it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to be like Christ, to know what Christ wants from us? Are you that hungry for the clear teaching of God's Word? Too many Christians remain immature in their walk with Christ because they don't want to apply themselves to study God's Word and let God's Word get into their life. Well, brings us to the last thing that you've got to do if you're going to get out of this world, this world that's been uh, affected and impacted by the world's evil desires. The last thing that we need to do is you must act with all diligence. Act with all diligence. I'm not going to spend a lot of time right here, but Peter says here, you need to make your calling and election sure. The calling and the election are God's part. Our part is the response of faith to God. To follow after Him. You and I need to take, we need to take our spiritual growth and make it important. It needs to be 
something that's a priority in our life. We need to be focused on making ourselves to look like Jesus. We need to make spiritual growth a priority. We need to be like the Thessalonians. Remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul said, said this about them. Those, or excuse me, the ones in Berea, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Guys, we need to respond to God's grace by giving ourselves and presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. What Romans chapter 12, verse 1 tells us. We are to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. That means day in and day out, we're to, we're to give our lives and we're to show up and we're to present ourselves to God. That's what God wants from us. We will never reach perfection until we get to heaven. But if we become satisfied and complacent when it comes to our growth in Christ, we will quit growing and we will stagnate. You see, there's only, one, there's only one of two directions. You're either moving forward in your relationship to Christ or you're stagnating. Everybody, anybody ever been around stagnated water before? Does it not stink? Well, the same thing is true of Christians that are stagnated in their relationship to Christ. They stink. Guys, God has not called us to do that. God has given us everything necessary to live a life of godliness. But you and I cannot be satisfied with where we are. We never get to stop until we get to heaven. We ought to be learning about what it means to follow Christ. We ought to be learning. Some of you followed Christ a lot longer than I have. But we don't need to get tired. We need to keep moving forward. We keep, need to keep striving to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how disappointing it must have been, been for Leroy Imes to be surrounded by oranges and couldn't get any orange juice. But how much more disappointing is it for Christians who stagnate in their relationship to Christ and don't grow? Do you know what you need to do to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you have a proper understanding about the resources that God's made available to you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to become more like Jesus? As I said, discipleship is a lifetime process. I want to challenge you today to act with all diligence so that you will keep from being ineffective and unfruitful. Notice what Peter says here in this passage of Scripture. If we don't put these different characteristics into our life if we don't keep building on those characteristics and becoming more like Jesus if we don't do that with all diligence we will become ineffective and unfruitful in our walk with Christ I hope and pray that none of us will ever say that we've gotten to the point where we're ineffective and unfruitful in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so let me just challenge you today as we finish up Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you will be able to escape from the corruption that is in this world because of evil desires. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you're a God who cares about us. We're thankful, Lord, that you're a God who saved us and called us to yourself. 
Lord, forgive us when we have not uh, made spiritual growth a priority in our life, when we've become complacent and satisfied with where we are. Lord, I pray that we would stop comparing ourselves with others and we would compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, when we do that, we realize that we've got such a long way to go until we look like Him. God, I'm thankful that you've given us everything that's necessary to live a godly life. Father, forgive us when we don't call on the resources that you've made available to us. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts today. And that, God, you would light a fire in us so that we would be willing to pay whatever price is necessary for you to be honored and glorified in this world. And, Father, I pray that and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me speak first of all to Christians. Are you making every effort to grow as a Christian? Have you gotten complacent in your relationship with Christ? Are you satisfied with where you are? Do you wake up every day just thinking, well, I've got another day I've got to go through? Or do you wake up excited that you get to know more about Jesus today and learn more about Jesus today? Guys, if you're not excited, if you've become unfruitful or ineffective in your Christian walk, I just want to tell you this. God is a forgiving God. And if you will ask, He will forgive you. And He will give you new energies to pursue Him with everything that's within your body and within your mind and within your heart. So if you're here today and you're not where you need to be in your relationship to Christ, I just want to ask you to, to confess it to God and ask His forgiveness and ask Him to help you to live the kind of life that would be pleasing unto Him. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want you to know that I know the one that can, has the power to change your life. You can't do it. You've probably tried to do it, but you can't, can you? But I know the one who can. He can cause you to be born again. He can cause you to have eternal life. If you will come to Him and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior, the Bible says that Jesus will answer that prayer. If you pray it with all faith, the Lord Jesus Christ will answer that prayer. If there's a decision that you need to make this morning, we're getting ready to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And it's an opportunity for you to respond. Maybe you need to pray here at the altar. Maybe you need your pastor to pray with you. If you don't know Christ and, and you want to know more information about that, it'd be my great privilege to talk to you down here at front. So as we stand and as we sing, you come and do what the Lord has laid upon your heart. Adam?